Hi everyone and welcome to this Football v Transphobia podcast uh, for 2022. Um, it's the Football v Transphobia week of action, um, so we have a whole bunch of events going on around um, celebrating and talking about trans and non-binary people in football in whatever way we're involved and to be clear we're always really big on saying it's not just about people playing football it's not even just about people on the pitch you know coaches referees it's about everything and a really important aspect of how people consume and enjoy football um, is going to games watching games being part of supporter groups we know that football clubs are a really core part at the center of communities in this country and beyond so one of the things I wanted to celebrate and talk about this week was trans people who are supporters of football clubs. Uh, so I'm really pleased to be joined today by Arthur Weber and Paula Griffin, who are both avid supporters of their football clubs. And I hope it's going to give us a bit of an insight into kind of what it is to be a, a football fan. Um, I am not really, a, weirdly, I'm not really a big, I don't have a football team I follow. I don't get to a lot of games as a fan, right? It was not, not something that ever kind of, I got involved in as a kid. So I'm hoping that you can kind of give me that insight. So, but firstly, I'll let my guests introduce themselves. So Arthur, I don't know if you want to go first and tell us a little bit about yourself and pronouns. and all that good stuff. Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, I'm Arthur Weber, my pronouns are he, him. I'm a trans man and I've been an Arsenal supporter since I was six. And I've been a member of the Gay Gooners for probably about five years now, but I didn't actually start going to any of their socials or games until uh, the beginning of the season. So it's been quite new for me, really. Cool. Thank you. And Paula? Hi, I'm Paula Griffin. I'm a trans woman. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm a Dulwich Hamlet fan for my sins. I've been involved with the club for... Probably far too many, far too many years. Over sort of over thirty odd years now. Um, I've, I've served on committees. I've sort of done the tour. I've done sort of everything at the club apart from play for it. So, <laughs> good. Um, working on the playing for everyone, Yeah. <laughs> One day, if we ever start a veterans team, I might go to my chance. But yes. <laughs> cool. So wonderful. So, I mean, Arthur, let's start with you. Like what? One of the things that I, I love to do in these podcasts is explore kind of what's the genesis of people's relationship with football. Like, how did you get into it? Um, did you, did, was it for you? Was it going to an Arsenal game? Is there a family allegiance there? What's, how did it start? Um, well, my mum likes to blame me being trans on my dad wrapping me in the 98 World Cup stuff and making me watch the whole tournament as a news one. Um, so I've sort of been into football since birth. Actually, my dad is an Ipswich fan. Um, so he sort of instilled football in me from then. But I didn't start supporting a team until I was six. And that was because a boy in my class that I quite fancied supported Arsenal. So I was like, OK, th- these will be the ones that I go with. And it was the Invincible season. So like lots of people were supporting <laughs> at that time. Um, yeah. But the season after, he switched to supporting Man United. And I was like, no, this is unacceptable. <laughs> so I've just been with Arsenal ever since. So you, you had that keen understanding of what it is to be a fan. Yeah, ahead of him then, right? you were like, yeah, you, you don't switch clubs, yeah, that's not how it works, yeah. yeah. So, like, so one of the things was going to be like, what, what period of history did you get into Arsenal? So you really were at that point where it was like, wow, this is, this is a, I don't want to say an easy club to support, but like, you know, you, you're, I guess the sad thing is it's kind of downhill from there in many respects in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, we're slowly getting back up. Yeah, <laughs> good, good season, season at the minute. Fingers crossed, but um, yeah, so like pretty much everybody in my class was supporting Arsenal at that point. So it was mm. like, it was the thing to do. 
And then I think by the time I got to secondary school, like five years later, it was just me and one other person that still did. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> any, uh, any family pressure to support Ipswich? No, my dad only supported them because like they were the first like club he went to go and see. I can't remember where he was living at the time. But, but he's just supported them ever since because they were the first club that he, that he went to see. So, like, no real pressure. Like, my, a couple of my uncles support Liverpool. My mum says she supports Spurs, but she doesn't really care about football. So, like, we, when I was a kid, we used to have some Spurs shirts in the house, but I don't really know why, because my mum doesn't care about football. Um, but, yeah, so, no, no, no Ipswich pressure, at least. But... Okay. Paula, um, then, so... So Dulwich Hamlet, I'm assuming there must, you must be a local to the area, right? You don't tend to, you, you probably weren't watching Dulwich Hamlet on TV and thinking, I, I really, yeah. Well, it's, it's quite, it's a rather long story, so my sort of uh, arrival at Dulwich. Um, as a child, but, you know, I played football or whatever, but at school, I, mean, I had to get, uh, I grew up down in Cornwall, so at school, I had to get a uh, kit for school, and this was the 70s, so everybody had a red kit. It was Arsenal, Man United or Liverpool. And I decided I wanted to be different. So I had to get a kit and, and a West Ham kit because they sold out a Plymouth Argyle kit. But cut a long story. So, so when I moved to London, I started going to watch West Ham. And then post Hillsborough, the Taylor Report, they started talking about you know, bringing seat, all seated grounds. And to be honest, I don't, sit, I don't, sit, I don't sit down around get football. I'm not one of those people. So West Ham bought. What was the bond scheme? I don't. You're probably too. You're both probably too young to remember the bond scheme, but it was a total failure. I mean, Arsenal had a similar one, and so I started watch, looking for an non-league club to, to follow. And I watched there was the, the massive old grounds around London. There were some wonderful grounds those days. Sadly, long gone. Lots of Wheelstone, um, Green Pond Lane, Wolfester Avenue, and Dulwich Hamlet. So one Tuesday night, I happened to wander into Dulwich Hamlet. It's massive, great edifice, gothic edifice of ground, long gone now, sadly. Falling apart, electrics were pretty deadly, floodlights you could barely see in. And about sort of just for half time, out of the gloom for these massive, great terraces appeared this motley crew of half a dozen people and dumped this freshly painted cardboard coffin on the middle of the pitch. And as I discovered, this was because our manager, Eddie Preston, had just been sacked as their protest against it. And I thought, I like this club. There's a good <laughs> attitude here. There's, so I gradually sort of got involved, got a little bit involved, started sort of watching games. And one, one day, one of, one of the long-term sports all sidled up to me and said, yeah, would you like to help out the club? You know, sell golden goals and things like that. And from there... I'm about to say, I'm not sure love affair is the right word, but this involvement just carried on going. And I sort of, I sort of couldn't get away. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that sort of non-league chaos that you get sometimes. Oh, you get these, these these clubs that, you know, there's a bit of character around and people, clubs, clubs and people involved in the clubs can have a little bit more kind of, um, what's the right yeah, character? A little bit, you know, a bit of randomness sometimes. That, oh, oh, you've got some real, real characters. In that. I mean, mm -hmm. the, I mean, if you ever saw the film Bromley Boys, I mean, that, that really summed up sort of what we like yeah. in non-league football. You don't, there's much more chance to be an individual here. And to be honest, I, you know, I was sadly passed away in my friend who introduced me to the club. He said, you know, if you had me for Dulwich Hamlet, you know, 
the fans then we wouldn't have met. I mean, it's changed a bit now, but with the big crowds. But in those days, mm-hmm. you know, it was the old cliche: you announce, you announce, you announce the uh, the crowd changes, not the team changes. Yeah, <laughs> so I want to come back to that in, in, a, in a little bit and explore that how kind of how Dalich Hamlet has evolved recently because I know that's quite an interesting story. But um, Arthur, I wanted to come back to you because I know you mentioned about gay doomers and how obviously there's something that's been a, a really pleasing trend in football over I guess the last 10, 15 years is the emergence of these LGBT fan groups. Um, could you talk a little bit about kind of how how you got involved in that and what that's meant for you in the relationship with the club and things like that? Um, so I just happened to sort of come across their Twitter account and I requested to join the Facebook group. And at the time, I was just looking for other LGBT people to talk to about football because my friendship group back in Peterborough, none of them really cared about football. And yes, I had cishet friends that also liked football, but it was it wasn't quite the same. I wanted somebody that was similar to me, kind of chat shape. And then I ended up becoming, a few years later, I ended up becoming quite close friends with Joe, who's the co-chair. And they sort of slowly encouraged me to like, okay, maybe this would be something you were interested in. So I went to my first game last September. It was one of the Carabao Cup fixtures versus Wimbledon. And I can't say Arsenal played particularly well, even though it was Wimbledon, which wasn't great, um, but, but we won. Um, so that was nice, and like because it was the Carabao World Cup, like the club have allocated us like all seats together. So I was with uh, my partner, who I bought tickets for. But then Joe was sitting next to me, and then a few other of us like all in a line. And I think that that's like really important for people that are going to their first games as LGBT supporters to just literally have us all swamped together, so that if something happens, all of us are there ready to throw hands or whatever yeah because like me and my partner have been victims of the homophobic hate crime a few weeks before and so going into that environment i was much more nervous than perhaps i wouldn't would have been if that hadn't happened so like i messaged joe and like joe came to meet me at the station we all walked together we met up with everybody beforehand so it was very much a community of keeping each other safe whilst also enjoying this which was which was nice you know uh, I've, obviously i've been back for several games since so it can't have been that horrible despite but yeah, so it's been lovely. Yeah, brilliant. And I think that, you know, that's probably a common feeling that a lot of, and there probably are, I hope, trans and non-binary people listening who are thinking, I'd love to go to a game, but I don't feel necessarily um, safe, frankly, you know, because it, particularly if it's a men's game, you know, the atmosphere can be a little bit intimidating. And I know what you just outlined there um, that the gay gooners do is what a lot of LGBT clubs, certainly clubs at that level, do for people is meet somewhere else beforehand go to the game together so you've got that strength in numbers i think that's a really important thing i know like personally my reflection when i haven't been to much men's football since i came out and that's been something i've worried about personally so i know that's something that would definitely help me um you know i've been to a couple of england games for example and you know they can be quite um if you're a queer person can be quite frightening so that you know i wasn't able to with a group of people but um yeah that's that's something that definitely would have helped um so paul i'm interested obviously in the non-league game there isn't always i know that sometimes there ex- still exist these sort of lgbt supporters groups but what how does that sort of play out at that level like did you, were you when you came out were you worried about going to games how did how oh, did you oh def- definitely so i mean I still don't, I mean, I still feel uncomfortable going to away games. I feel more comfortable at Dulwich. 
for obvious reasons there. Mm. I mean, it, but even, even there, there's still, because obviously the opposition fans, we still get sort of, uh, what I would almost call tourists, to be honest, who, who are there for the football, not necessarily for the, the football. Um, so, I mean, but there's been, I mean, I had at least three transphobic incidents at games so far this season. I mean, it was um, away to Plymouth Parkway, was an instance there was um again that way to Dartford there were instance there and recently at Mason which I have a wonderful relationship with people at Mason down there I know but literally I'm standing on there on the terraces and literally as I'm always at the front quite I'm not I'm, I'm not always quite visible because um the number of supporters who literally almost stopped and stared at me it was just it was it was very uncomfortable it's, it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. I understand it feels it's a comfortable feeling I mean yeah. the good thing is because I've got it's I've got a lot of connections, you know, in only football. But say if someone new coming, I think it's it's breaking that ice and actually having someone there to, actually, to go with really helps. I think it'd be very it's be very difficult if I was new to the game now and actually coming into it now. I'd I'd, I'd still even at non-league level, I'd find it difficult to go. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I mean, is there in your experience what could clubs that don't perhaps have the resources or infrastructure or the fan base you know not being harsh to create these specific groups what what can they do is there anything that you've experienced that like worked well or anything you think if they'd well, done this this would have made things easier it's very much it's it's through the through the education i think players i'm again i also think one of the things if you've got a, if you have a men's and a women's team at the same time that sort of ethos goes for the whole club. I mean, the ethos at Dulwich has definitely changed down down the, down the years, especially since we have you know a wonderfully trans inclusive uh, and trans supportive uh, women's team at the moment. It's you know we have straight players, we have cis players, we have uh, lesbian players, we, you know, we have queer players. I mean, across the range. So it's I think that a lot of that sort of feeds through the club, and once the club gets this ethos there, I. It's it's a gradual it's a gradual process I think it's mm. must it's very much a case of uh, putting out there how um, what the club actually stands for and making yeah. sure that is that feeds through to people. It's it's tough. I say you can't sort of. I don't think it's something you can force on people, but it's it's something that you grow in people. I think that's why I feel. Yeah, it's about that kind of creating a culture, and culture takes time to yes. change. But creating that culture where you know, right, these are our club's values. This is what we stand yes. for, and lots of clubs like to have that around, don't they? I've been to clubs. I haven't been to Dulwich. I think you know I've been to places like Whitehawk where they've got a rainbow flag yes. on there, yes. and yes. stuff like that, where it's you know really this is what this club is about. We you know no homophobia, no sexism, all that kind. Of, and it takes some time, but once a club gets a reputation for it's that's an inclusive club people go there it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle doesn't it so yeah agreed cool all right so um this is a football podcast so let's let's talk a little bit more about the actual football itself so arthur going back to you i mean so you already said like pray you got into arsenal the invincible season right so i was going to ask like what's your favorite team what's some of your favorite players that you're you know whether you know you can happen to be the best players but everyone has their favorite players don't their favorite teams what who's when when you think of Arsenal, what, what are the things that really get you going and get, make you want to talk about Arsenal? Um well when I was a kid I had a teddy bear that I called Thierry Henry 
And then after he left, I was like, do I change it to Fabregas? Because Fabregas is my second favourite player. But no, he's, he's still Thierry Henry. And as far as I'm aware, he's still under my bed at home. Yeah. So I, I would have to say Thierry oh. is uh, my favourite. Also, uh, Dennis Bergkamp got a huge amount of respect for Patrick Vieira, who's obviously just been introduced to the Premier League Hall of Fame, which is mm. fantastic. Um, more recently, I really liked Hector Bellerin. I don't know whether that's because I knew that he was very strong in his LGBT allyship, and that made me interested favor him a little bit more. Um, but he was somebody that I really attached myself to more recently. And then in the current squad, it's got to be Saka. I just, you know, whenever somebody goes for his ankles, I'm like, no, mm, which is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned Bellerin actually because. I, I, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I was quite. A, I mean, you know, his outfits were a factor. You know, he's a very well dressed man. But um, yeah, he uh, he was again was, was I don't want to say at the forefront of because lots of people have, but there's recently male Premier League footballers have frankly got better at taking a bit of a stand on some of these issues. And I remember he was one of the ones that stood out, and it does make a difference, doesn't it? So yeah, and obviously having a good season at the moment. Um, have you started to allow yourself to feel like your favourites for top four? Yeah, I, I am at a place where I'm feeling like we we, we might have Champions League football mm-hmm. next season, which will be amazing. The um, Champions League final where Jens Lehmann managed to get himself sent off haunts me to this day. Oh, so yeah. If we could have a replay where something disastrous like that doesn't happen again, lovely. <laughs> I remember I... Um... I was at university when that game happened and um, we all went down to like a bar and I was in Birmingham, so it was probably a bar on Broad Street or something. Which, um, And like, it was a huge thing. Like, because a lot of people really, a lot of people liked Arsenal then and wanted, because of that great team, and those great players and wanted them to win something. And yeah, it just kind of went very sour very quickly, unfortunately, didn't it? It feels like there's probably some, some unfinished business there, maybe. Yeah, I think so. So fingers crossed for Champions League, but to be honest, Europa yeah, League, I, I guess, would be fine as we haven't had European football for a couple of seasons now. So yeah. you know, I, I would take Europa, but ideally back up with the big boys. Well, the last European game you played was that Europa League final, wasn't it? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paula, so yes. okay, I don't know so much about teams down at college. So, like, tell us a little bit about it. Might not have, might not be done. It might be at West Ham or whatever. But what's like your, the players and the teams that stick in your mind as your favourites you want to go back to? Oh, this, I'll be honest. I'm just suddenly thinking back. I'm just trying to think. Of the last time we ever played in, played in Europe, you know, Dulles, But I think that was probably the Anglo-Italian Cup when he had. Uh, well, well I was Alan, say, Alan did you Park. ever make it into that? Yeah, I remember that. Yes. We, <laughs> well, we. Um, I think no, that was actually wasn't that was the year. Was I think it was Malta when we had Alan Pardew was playing for us, and uh, oh. he took his boots to Malta on a post-season trip in a Tesco carrier bag. Wow, <laughs> love that! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a few down the years. I mean, obviously for the Arsenal fans here, we did have Ian Wright for a while. Ooh. Okay, one one pre-season friendly. <laughs> We signed. We signed him. Um, we'd actually signed the contract, and Palace came to us and said, "Oh, 
Um, can you tear up the contract? So we did, and we got a set of weights in return. So technically, he never actually signed for us. So we'd actually, he had actually signed the contract, and we should have got a bit more money for him. But uh, we ended up with yeah. a set of weights. But I must have some real characters down the club. Um, another one I think of is Peter Garland. Um, he's mentioning uh, Kevin King's autobiography as the first player he signed at uh, Newcastle. And I think Kevin Keegan says that uh, he never realised how overweight Peter was when he actually arrived. But Peter was absolutely amazingly talented. Mm. I mean, uh, twice his, on his debut for Dulwich, uh, way to Gravesend and Northfleet, now known as Ebbsfleet. Um, it was an absolutely muddy pitch and he scored from the halfway line out by the corner flag. And to prove he wasn't a fluke, he did that twice two, on two other occasions. Absolutely brilliantly talented. But one of these players who he should have made should have made made the made the grade, but mm. just didn't, didn't in those days you didn't really worry. You didn't make the big there wasn't the big money then. So he was happy doing a job on the roads, invested money from from playing at Charlton and uh, Newcastle well and just enjoy football. Um, a few others I can think of. Erhanos Tuma. I don't not more recently. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar lost, with him from somewhere. Maybe Charlton, possibly. Yeah, yes, probably. Yep. Another, another one, brilliantly talented. Um, we picked again. Um, Coach Gavin Rose picked him up. Um, scores absolutely amazing goals. Um, another one. A lot of these players are sort of players that actually talented, but probably didn't fit into the team ethos. Chris Dixon, again, he when he when he moved to moved to Charlton. I went, we went down to see his debut for them, and he scored six goals on his debut for the reserves in a side that included Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. But again, his out goals at scoring was outrageous. But again, he, he just enjoyed football, and mm. the money was never the thing for him. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of the players like this at Dulwich. I mean, on a course, how it goes without saying about mentioning, we did have Peter Crouch on loan as well. Yeah. For uh, six games, scored one goal with his head. Against Braintree and then disappeared off. We've got we obviously we got him back now again. So hmm. he's doing this documentary with him at the moment with uh, yours truly. Yeah, did a bit trolling, a bit trolling around uh, Old Compton Street recently. So if you see me in the paparazzi, oh, yeah. former England football international, spotted with glamorous aging brunettes, that'll be me <laughs> <laughs> in the Admiral Duncan. All oh, right, okay, yeah, cool. I look forward. Yes, yes thank you. Get my name dropping in. Yeah, yeah. No, please do. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> you got. You got to do it if you can. Yeah. But that's. I mean, that's the thing about Dulwich is we've we had we've had good teams down the years, and we built recently we built teams. But a lot of it we've had sides that just play good football. I mean, when Gavin Rose first arrived at the club, um, he, he brought in a new ethos. We we had some real donkeys down, classic non-league donkeys. <laughs> they would just kick anything that moved, and we'd sort of drop, drop down, a lot, no crowds. And Gavin came along and started playing really beautiful football, which I think helped bring the crowds in. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and that's the other thing I was going to ask about. We touched on it earlier, but I know like there's been a lot of evolution at Dulwich recently in terms of you know, the. Didn't remember a long read in the Guardian a while back about you know the ownership of the club and say, it's kind of saving the club, which is unfortunately a common story. Well, yes. saving is fortunately common, but it's not always the case. I know with clubs at that level, but you know, there's a, I guess you've probably seen all of that unfold and the kind of the it's become kind of a quite a well 
supported little corner of London, I suppose now in terms of yeah. so like what's what's your reflections on kind of how that's changed over the last is it ten years or so? That's more it's, it's about ten years, I think so. I mean in that time we we played the friendly against Stonewall. I mean what really changed the thing, I think that that helped you know change the perception around Dulwich. Um you, you've seen a sort of a new sort of um demographic locally as well. Hmm. So more people are moving into the area from um more, more the sort of the media, the media types that sort of slightly more affluent. I mean, Dulles was always East Dulles was always known as more Peckham. Now it's sort of you know it's the way Peckham's evolved as well. So we're picking up a lot of a lot of new supporters in that area. Hmm. But I think what really changed, I think, was when we noticed it was we did a, a game against Hampton Richmond, and this is before all the sort of um, trouble hit the hit the fan over ground ownership and club ownership and that day we did a play what you like game and it took off it, it was it was phenomenal it was it was viral i mean i was on turnstiles that day and it, I, I i missed the entire game because i was still counting this was days of you know cash so i lost yeah. i missed the entire game because i was counting, still counting the cash i think i was still counting it when we fight at sort of seven o'clock that night but we had three thousand people in for that game and you suddenly realise there's this groundswell of connection to this club as part of the local community. And that's, you know, something as, you know, as non-league clubs, we're definitely sort of trying to sort of, you know, uh, be part of, not just with the community, part of the community. And that involvement that people actually feel this connection to their club that we've, we've regained, I think, it's... We, we lost it for the 60s, 70s, when the crowds just vanished. But I think there's these new, there's a new sort of newfound, you know, um, awareness of non-league football that the football doesn't, it's not being, you know, the, you know, the old thing was, you know, the Premier football doesn't wasn't born when uh, Sky took over the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, also bringing you in on this, right? So I know we touched on it earlier and obviously I guess what Paul is kind of referring to there as well is this idea of the football club as the centre of the community and how like a football club I guess is reflective of the community that it sits in as well but it can also influence back the other way you know by trying to be inclusive and by taking stands on social issues like clubs can help literally you know and football can help make the world a better place. I mean do you have any thoughts on like what Arsenal does around that, or it doesn't have to be Arsenal specifically, but you know, maybe even local football clubs in your community. But, like, do you have any thoughts on like where you see that working well, or is there anything that's been impactful on you in your life in terms of football clubs taking stands like that? Arsenal at least seem to be trying to forge a relationship in Islington with the local LGBT community. Um, we recently got a plaque replaced, a pink plaque from Islington Pride. Um, it had been nicked before we had one and then someone stole it and then it's been surprised it gave us another one and so um we had uh, that's what the photos with um gunasaurus were about uh, the game that yep. i went to about a month ago it was to showcase the plaque and that it was getting put up again and um, so they at least certainly be appear to be trying to forge a relationship with the local lgbt community i don't live in Islington, so i can't say how yeah. Well, that's going down, but the people from Islington Pride at least seem very happy to the Arsenal were at least interested in replacing the plaque because you know they could have gone, Oh, well, we had one job done, yeah, but yeah. they were like, No, no, we, we want it, we want um, proof that we have this LGBT club and we want to you know proudly display that. 
um, and it was like as part of all of the various things that they were doing at the LGBT History Month dedicated match, like they lit up the stadium in rainbow colours, like outside, it's normally white, but they did it in rainbow colours, so it was like, I don't know, it feels like Arsenal really are pushing towards really trying to be an inclusive club, which is nice, and obviously it's something that the gay gurus have wanted for a very, very long time, but that something seems to have happened this season where Arsenal gone, yes, we are actually going to make a proper effort this time. And it has been really, really well received. Like mm. everybody I've spoken to about it, we're really, really happy about it. Because uh, I've got an article out, I think it's either today or tomorrow, about my experience at that particular game. And oh, one of the editors asked whether I would speak to some of the other trans people that were there. So it wasn't just, you know, me thinking, oh yeah, this is great. Um, so I speak to the others, do they think it was enough? And like some of the words everybody was using was like freedom, it's liberating, like it was wonderful to see the effort that Arsenal were really putting in. And so like that was really nice and it was may it continue. Yeah. And I spoke to someone else, a, a trans person who's got to a couple of Arsenal games recently as part of that kind of initiative. And I know she was saying that like really meant a lot to her and it was really helped. I think she's in a phase where she's quite, you know, kind of early early in her transition and early in coming out and it can be quite really quite transformative and actually I think you know football clubs are a really important part of people's lives and so like when when clubs do have initiatives to help people come along it can really be quite quite something yeah okay cool so let's I know it's we're talking about me supporters here but you know I know you both do play a little bit so let's <laughs> or a lot depending on how you know um no I don't want to minimize let's maybe talk a little and I'll come to you second Paula because I know we can we can touch a little bit on the game next week which obviously the previous podcast was about but after I mean have you I know you said you're playing have you always played have you got into it recently is what's your kind of so I used to play when I was very young. Uh, I used to go to like the local boys training because it was run by one of my dad's friends. And like, they had no problem with, you know, they just saw me as another one of the boys, even though at the time they didn't know that. So I played then and then I used to play for my school team up until about year nine when it just, you know, being trans clicked for me. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do this anymore. It's a women's team. So like I just stopped completely and it was very annoying because at the time I was playing in defense and in the previous tournaments I got my first goal and then I realized I was trans I could never play again I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and um, so I've been asking around in Peterborough whether there was appetite to start up an LGBT club and they're just from the people I was speaking to there wasn't I got invited to play for Leicester Wildcats who are an LGBT team but that's an hour on the train from me and mm. training would finish at like nine and the last train back to Peterborough is at like four two nine. So it just like it just wasn't feasible while I was back home. And then I moved to London in December and like, my big priority was okay, I want to start playing again. Like I've started going to matches again and feeling very comfortable around football. I think now's the time that I should give it a shot. Yep. So and um, when I tweeted saying that I'd moved, I said, you know, any LGBT clubs in London, reach out to me. I'd love to come and play. So I had a few. And then Leopardus, who I currently play for, um, reached out and they're the closest. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go, I'll go along to that. And I've been playing since. So it's been like, I think it's been about three months now. And I've got my first away game, ironically, versus Leicester at the end of April. And we've apparently lost every game this season. So I'm not putting too high hopes, but... 
if if we could get one goal, I think that would make it a nice debut. Yeah, yeah. And are you still playing in defence? Um, at the moment, no. Leicester has been very keen for me to sort of just try stuff out, and we do sort of rush goalie as well. So I'm definitely not a goalkeeper. I found that one game. <laughs> yeah, well, one game I let three in, so I'm definitely not a goalkeeper. Um, but more recently, in my last sort of few games, I've scored a few. So it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be in defence. Maybe I should be a little bit further forward. So I guess I'll find out first in the Leicester game what my official position yeah. is. Yeah, I've been doing the opposite. I, I used to be an attacking midfielder. I played up front for a bit, and now I'm playing right back this season. So. <laughs> Paula, then, so footballing wise, I know you've had kind of a, a real explosion of getting involved in football recently. Uh, I mean, talk, talk us through it. This, this might take a while, all this, to be honest. Yeah. So, <laughs> give us the abridged version. Okay. <laughs> so, about eight months ago, sort of, I some of uh, Goldinger sort of turned up in my uh, Twitter feed, thanks to Sammy Walker. And so I went along to join, join them. They, they uh, Space is reserved for trans players and non-binary players. So I thought, I'll go along, train, get myself a bit fitter, just get back playing the game again. And sort of grew from that, trained on a regular basis, started playing again, sort of five, five aside, uh, seven aside, and then 11 aside. Then the first truck game came along and we were seen to be short of goalkeepers. Amazing, so all the goalkeepers there. So yours truly said she put on her gloves again for the first time in 15 years odd. And so I suddenly realized I fell back in love with the goalkeeping. So another friend said, um, who's uh, involved with Peckham Town, said we need a goalkeeper for the women's team there. So go along. Also going on for training there, and so I started playing for Peckham Town as well. So currently, to cut a long story short, I play for Peckham Town women on eleven aside on Saturdays. I play for Gold Diggers eleven aside also on Saturdays. Sometimes two games on a Saturday, back to back, ninety-minute games. And I also play in the Ladies Superliga, um, which is five is a combined five and seven aside. That's on Sundays. <laughs> I also play in the, in the Eastlington Women's League on uh, on Tuesdays, and I used to play in the Super Fives, but obviously, Gold Diggers withdrew from that because of their transphobic stance. So, where we go back into that it was a little slightly personal point of view, a little disappointed because I I played two games in that and I scored seven goals in two games, and admittedly five, only five aside. So. But apart from that, <laughs> yeah, so it keeps, you, keeps you busy. It's busy. Yeah, I think you could call it an addiction, to be honest. At the moment, um, this one's, I mean, I always, I always wonder, like, because I've sometimes seen this. There's almost a conflict between. Uh, sometimes people say there are people that play football, and people that watch football, because it's often quite hard to do both. And like, particularly yes. in the women's game, I know yours isn't, but a lot of women's football is two p.m. on a Sunday. Mine certainly is, yes. and then a lot of elite or the you know, WSL and top few divisions is at the same time, so you can't kind of do both. Um, but it's good to see you're kind of finding a way around it. <laughs> cool. So, um, I think you know that's kind of uh, been really interesting, and we've covered a lot of stuff around. You know, hopefully, you know, some of the people listening that might be thinking about, can I go along to my local football club? Can I go along to the, you know, the elite team that I support and get involved? And hopefully, we've given them some ideas about how to do that. But I mean, just to kind of make it clear, I mean, Arthur, I don't know if you want to go first. If if someone was thinking about 
going to watch football, going to get involved in the football, what, what kind of advice would you give to them? Um, I'd say firstly, look up to see whether you do have an LGBT supporters group. I'd say most clubs um, who are in sort of professional leagues do. Like I even discovered that like Peterborough United, where I'm from now, do. They didn't a few years ago when I first started. Yeah, it's been a real explosion of them lately. Yeah. Um, so like lots of them will have one. Um, and if not, then, you know, if you've got a friend that you can go with for your first one, at least, maybe that's uh, something to go for. Just like, don't go alone. Like, if you're worried about going to a football game, the worst thing you can do is go alone and sit and panic and not enjoy the game. Like, make sure you've got somebody with you so you can let loose and focus on the sport that you love because you know, otherwise you've wasted your money and you're just sitting there and you're worried. Like, don't bring somebody, whether they love football or hate football or go to um, your LGBT support group, just bring somebody so that you can have a good time. Yeah. Paula, did you want to add anything? I say with the non-league game, I say with the non-league game, it's obviously, we don't have the groups, but I'd definitely say look at look at, look at the social media presence. You, you will see how it, there are really strong allies out there in non-league football. I mean, not just ourselves at Dulwich, like as you mentioned, Whitehawk, Altrincham as well, uh, further north, um, Clapton again. I mean, Clapton, Clapton's a massive, massive ally club. Um, Whitehawk, great place to start. But there are plenty of other clubs out there. I mean, they've got good social media presence. They've got a social media presence. Look at what they say on there, and you will find out that find the club for you. I think. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And so I think that's, that's us done. So I wanted to just give you both an opportunity if there's anything you want to plug or if you want to direct people at any sort of social media or any projects that you've got that you're proud of. After I'll let you go first. The platform is yours. Uh, so I mentioned to uh, Natalie before we started uh, recording this, I didn't know that this week was um, football versus transphobia week of action. So I've ended up with a whole week worth of football related stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this is convenient. So um, I've got an article out either today or tomorrow in the Queer AF newsletter about um, football stuff. And then also I am filming a documentary with somebody about my journey with football that will be out at some point in the future. I will not set a date because I will mess it up. So at some point. And then also I'm at Bernie Trenders on Twitter, if you can put up yeah, which I would, I would I'd recommend as good value. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, do you want to? Well, apart from, apart, well, obviously, you know, you push, push the truck game. You know, you can come and see me play. Mm-hmm. That's a great, you know, a great incentive. But I'd also mention and say, if if you if you love playing football as well, you know, the gold diggers look up the gold diggers there because they have they'll always have a place trans and non-binary people to play football and but they're also there's plenty of contacts there to to, uh, to play the game so if you want to play the game look up gold diggers and they'll help you find a club as well yeah brilliant thank you so all that kind of remains for me to say is just point people in the direction of a few resources so of course it's it will be transphobia week this week so head over to our social media or easiest you know the football v homophobia website which is footballvhomophobia.com and then the football v transphobia campaign all the information is on that website um there's resources for clubs resources for coaches and so on there if you're trying to make more inclusive spaces for trans and non-binary people um but also we've got some events going on so uh, i did a panel discussion recently around creating space for trans and non-binary people in sport with some really interesting people that's recorded you can find that on our facebook 
Um, we've got a um, Twitter space coming up, which will be on Monday. So it may, this podcast may have gone out already, but you, you know, um, with the FA of Wales on Monday, there's all other stuff going on throughout the week, organised by other people as well. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But the hashtag across all social media is FVT2022. Um, so look up that. Um, and as Paula says, we have um, a couple of us are playing in the Truck United football match to, uh, against Dulwich Hamlet on Thursday the 31st, 7.30pm, Champion Hill. Um, get tickets in advance. You can get them through uh, Truck United FC's social media or, or through Dulwich Hamlet's website and so on. It's £4 to get in. We really want to make that a really big, celebratory, noisy joyous atmosphere it's the first time a team of trans women have played the game that we know of in this in this country and it's against Dutch Hamlet women's team so really looking forward to that but yeah we just even if you don't like football even if you're not LGBTQ get down there bring some flags make some noise it'll be wonderful stuff but finally thank you to both my guests thank you to Arthur Weber and to Paula Griffin who you know, really interesting and hopefully giving some people some inspiration to go and watch some football uh, wherever they find it um, and otherwise enjoy the rest of your football be transphobia week and look after yourselves thank you and goodbye <laughs>